The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you to ask for the glory of your presence to fill this place and to fill our lives. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Please come and minister your presence to us. Open our hearts to what is truth. Anchor our hearts upon that truth and help us to live that truth, we pray. Jesus, make yourself known to us. Our hearts are hungry to know you. Let who you are be made known to our hearts more and more. That we may love you and that we may understand just how much you love us. Father, we pray, draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you, even as you have promised in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But having come back from Uganda, I just wanted to share some of the things that I learned there, which, you know, share what you, well, I can't do it in just a week. It's, it's big. It's sort of like a lot of things have come to me through being in that time. We talked about prayer and engaging with God. I'm seeking to engage with God in my prayer times. Are you? You know, if you are, you will already have questions. Well, yes, I've tried it, and this seemed to be easy. That seemed to be difficult, because it's not always easy to engage with God. You know what? You go to a place of prayer. You can't just click your fingers and say, God, I'm here. Where are you? He is God. He is creator. We are his creation. We come to those places and we say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Speak to me. I'm here to worship you. Let your praises arise before him in those times because it helps to draw his presence. We're here to engage with God. We spoke about that. But we're also speaking about the fact, and I started this last week, how that as Christians we are in the army of God. Hence. I've just been told this is last year's. This is ex-uniform. But the idea is it just looks the part, okay? I haven't got the right epaulets. I haven't even got a commission. I mean, there's lots missing, okay? And to a degree, to a degree, that's where we're all at. We signed up, but we're not. We're very raw recruits. You know, we're still getting used to the fact that we're in the army. In fact, to be honest with you, half of us are, are we in the army? Even having this on, it's a little prompt to myself. I'm in the army. You are in the army now. And we need to remember that and we need to learn from it. And from this week, again, I want to look a little bit more about what being in the army is all about. As Christians, we are signed up. Well, sometimes we think, did I sign up for that? When you became a Christian, you became part of God's army and you are about fighting his battle because we do have an enemy. And last week, we briefly looked at what our enemy is like. And John tells us in his gospel, John 10.10, he says, The thief, this is our enemy, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Obviously, Jesus came, and it says in this scripture, But I have come to give life, and life in all of its fullness. 
But our enemy is out to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Do you like that happening to you? No. Well, wake up. We're in a battle. This is the thing. We're in a battle, and we need to wake up. The fact that the enemy is out to kill us, to destroy us. John goes on to tell us in John 8, 44. He says, this is talking about our enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what our enemy is like. And it's good for us to remind ourselves about that. Because sometimes we think if we don't know who we're fighting, then we're not going to be able to fight very well. We know that one of the main weapons that the enemy uses is that of deception. Deception is when we're being misled by the false appearance of something. So we think something is, oh, this is what I need to be doing. No, that's not what you need to be doing. You might be listening to a lie rather than anchoring yourself upon truth. By the way, God says my word is truth. If we're looking for truth, let's make sure we're keeping coming back to God's word. But when I say that, you know, although the enemy can deceive us, we can deceive ourselves. It's important that we get hold of this. We can deceive ourselves because we can say, oh, God's word is truth. Let me get hold of God's word. And we read this and we read the things that it says. Like, for instance, he says, love one another. You say, that's a very good thing to do. Right, put that down. And you go back and you go and argue with somebody. We're supposed to live out what we read. Because if we don't, we deceive ourselves. Because there comes this point of us saying, well, I know this. Yeah, but it's not a matter of just knowing it. You're supposed to be living it. And this isn't just, this is for all of us. We're struggling with this. But at least we need to know what we're doing. We're supposed to be living according to God's truth. And you know what? If we're just reading it, but we're not seeking to let it happen, be applied in our lives, being worked out in our lives, then we end up not being deceived by the enemy. We end up deceiving ourselves. Because self-righteousness comes. Well, of course, I know the Word of God. I read the Word of God. You don't read it? Oh, my goodness. You must be having problems. It doesn't matter about whether you read it alone. It's about whether we're starting to receive it, learn from it, and live it. So we can be deceived by the enemy. We can deceive ourselves. We are in battle after battle with spiritual powers. That's where we're at. And this morning, I want to look at some important things, if you like, for army life. Important things for army life. We're in the army, and then we need to understand these things. We need to understand about authority. We need to understand authority. We need to understand, we need to know our weapons. We need to be familiar. You know, you see a film, and when you see a private, and they come on, they start learning about how to shoot their gun. They're given a gun, they're told to take it apart, put it back together again. They need to know their weapon to make sure that their weapons are ready for use as soon as action comes. Well, we need to know about our weapons. We need to be familiar with them. We need to understand that in the army there is discipline. And there's no obedience is required. Now, it's very easy for us to understand this because, you know, you can see some sort of renegade character and you say, like, you need to get into the army. You need to learn some discipline. In actual fact, it's probably what some parents have said to their children. You need to learn some discipline. You need to do this. You need to tidy your bedroom. You know, all of those sorts of things that get said. Discipline, we understand in the army. If you're not disciplined, if you can't stand to attention, if you can't march... How are you going to be together as a team? If you can't obey your commanding officer, how are you going to get on? 
Now, we understand that for the army, but you see, we are in the army. So what we're actually saying is not just understanding it and putting it onto somebody else, but actually saying, this has got to be received into my own life. I need to understand authority. I need to know what my weapons are. I need to keep my weapons clean. I need to keep them active. I need to understand discipline, and I need to be obedient. We need to know those things. We also need to understand unity. Unity, the one thing that you see about people who've been in the army, if they come out, their greatest loss is the fact of missing the brotherhood that they had with their colleagues. Because in the army, everybody's watching out for each other. You are no longer just interested in yourself. You're interested in the welfare of those serving alongside you. You are looking out for them, and you're making sure you're giving effort to look out for them because that's exactly what you want them to do for you. So there's this great unity. As I say, for many of people who served in the armed forces, the biggest thing that they miss is that camaraderie, that unity, that standing beside one another, that looking out for one another that they had when they were with their, their fellow unit, people in their unit. Okay, let's look at understanding authority. What do I mean by that? Uh, we know it's about obeying orders, but look, in the army, there are different ranks, different ranks in the army. I would have, I don't know, I would, colonel, I feel like being a colonel today. But as I say, I haven't got that on my appellates. Uh, so up here, usually up here, you would see, and it's the same for police and, and firemen, those in different sectors, they have different marks on their epaulet up here to indicate what rank they are. See, you enter as a private. You enter, basically, there's no rank, just a private. You're entering as a soldier, and you can move up to be a lieutenant, uh, higher above that is a captain, then a major, then a colonel, then a brigadier, then a general, then a field marshal. So you get all these different ranks of people who are watching. Uh, the higher you go, then you've got more people that you're giving orders to underneath. And vice versa, when you start out as a, as a private, who do I obey? Basically everybody. And that's what it is. But, you know, if you're the field marshal, right up the top, you are the one giving the commands. You're the commanding officer, overseeing all the operations. And you have those that you are giving commands to, and then they are overseeing others. So that there is order, there is structure, there is unity. There are people working together on the same, th on the same role. That is what it is all about. You have to understand that there is authority. And you know what? If you, as a, as a private, you receive an instruction from a lieutenant, you obey it. But you know what? If you are the field marshal, as I said before, you're not receiving commands from anybody because you are the one giving the commands. You're expecting others to work out your commands. When it comes to being in the army of God, we have a commanding officer. Our field marshal, if you like, is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is giving the commands. And he doesn't only want to hear, give us commands, he wants us to obey those commands. And you know what? This is why it's important for us to literally get ourselves in the headspace of the armed forces, but us being in the army of God. Because it helps us stand. You don't expect soldiers just to do what they want. I expect them to listen to their commanding officer. I expect them to do what he's asking them to do so that that army can achieve their objective. 
And of course, this is being lived out day by day in our news, isn't it? Because we're getting stories of what's going on in Ukraine and the battle and the front lines and is a new uh, you know, objective being set by the Russians and what's happening and we get all this stuff and you know, whatever you think about it, it's quite poignant because we're seeing things being unfolded before our eyes in terms of what it means to be in war, what it means to be in battle. In the army of God, we have a commanding officer and we need to be giving him our allegiance. We need to be giving him our obedience. We need to be listening to the commands that he gives and carrying them out. So we notice some things that are important for army life here on earth, but we obviously want to understand particularly those things that are important for army life in God's army. So we're going to look at a couple of things, two main points, our position and our provision. Our position and our provision. First of all, our position. And obviously that's why I've given you a picture of authority, because it helps us to understand this. We have authority that has been given to us by our commanding officer. Now, if you go to Luke's gospel, there is a story where Jesus is sending out 72. He's already sent out his disciples on a mission. He's sending them out to go to the towns and villages where he's about to go. Now he commissions 72 others. So this isn't just the 12. It's a much wider group of disciples that he is sending out on mission for himself. And having been on mission, and they've gone to the towns and the places where Jesus is going to go to, they come back, and Luke reports like this. It says, they returned with joy. And they were saying, Lord, even the demons, even those of the spiritual world, they have been manifesting in the people that we've been going to see. Even the demons are subject to your name. And they were excited. They were overwhelmed. Wow, God, you gave us authority, and wow, we've seen that authority being worked out. But Jesus replied to them, and this is what he said, Luke 10, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, he goes on to say, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Position. We have authority. Not just a little bit of authority. All authority has been given to us. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. He's saying, I have given you the authority to go out there and to fight the battles and to win the battles in my name. I've given you authority to do that. And when they had received this authority, they'd gone out and used it, and they were coming back and saying, like, my goodness, it's true. It's true. We have authority. We have a higher position than those in the demonic realm. We have a higher position than them. Because nothing is going to, we can stand against all the power of the enemy. But Jesus did say to them, listen, now that's true, and you need to understand that. But please, you also need to understand my position. You need to understand who I am. Don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are obeying you, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. In other words, that you have been taken to a place where you can exercise that authority. 
That's what Jesus says to us. So we have authority, but let's just look at what this, this position, if you like, that we're sitting in is like so that we can use that authority. Our position is that we were raised with Christ. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 6, he says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we know this isn't just that Jesus came, we were in darkness, he came to save us. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. But there's a bigger picture than that. He's saying, do you remember that Jesus, he died, he was buried, but he rose again? Yes, we remember that. But he didn't just rise again. He ascended to sit at the Father's right hand. The biggest position of authority that anybody could have. And Jesus has gone there. And it says that we are seated with him. Wow. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. That is some position. We are seated with Christ. That is amazing. And look what this means. Ephesians 1 verses 19 to 21. It says that power, this is the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Where is that? Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. Not only in this present age, but in the one to come. So our position is that we're seated with Christ, and that position is far above every power and authority and every name that can be named. That is the position that we have. And Paul not only tells us about that, but he reminds us about the power that there is in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11 It says this, Therefore God exalted him, this is Jesus, to the highest place, we've just been reading about that, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of Jesus. Because that name is higher than any other name. So in our battle, not only are we positioned in a place and have been given authority, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms far above every power, every authority, every name that can be named. And we also have the name of Jesus at which every knee shall bow. Our commanding officer holds the highest rank and we are found in him. Paul again says this in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 3. Since then, he says, that you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's just saying it again. He's reminding us again that when we became Christians, our lives are literally hidden with Christ in God. That 
is the position that we have. And of course, this is why we can declare, as I said to you last week, 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I have the name of Jesus. I am seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That's where spiritual powers can see us. So therefore I can say, he that is in me, he is greater than he who is in the world. But always, as in the armed forces, there's no point in the private going around issuing orders to his commanding officer. It doesn't work like that. The private is listening to what his commanding officer, or whoever that may be, higher up the rank, is saying and telling him to do. And we must always come under the covering of our commanding officer. James 4 verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Come under the authority, listen to the orders, carry out the orders of your commanding officer. And then it goes on, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So often what we want to do is we want to resist the devil. I hate the devil. He's a liar. I've learned that. I know what my enemy is. I'm going out there to fight him. You can't do it as yourself. You must be clothed with Christ Jesus. You must come under the authority of your commanding officer who is Jesus Christ. So that is our position. Okay, Our position, our authority, where we're placed. Secondly, our provision. And I'm going to look under this under two things, our weapons and our armor. We have weapons so that we can attack. We have armor so that we can defend ourselves. So we want to look at these things. As Christians in God's army, if you like, we are armed and we can be dangerous. Now, I put it like that because we say we are armed and dangerous. Yeah, but you see, we are armed, but if we don't know how to use our weapons, then we're not necessarily going to be very dangerous. But if we understand our weapons and we use our weapons, then not only do we realize we're armed, but we can be very dangerous to the enemy. Paul talks about the power of our weapons in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4. He says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. We read in our press about how the world is going about its war because all the time our politicians are talking about which nations are giving what instruments of armor over to the Ukrainians. We know about that. But we're not waging war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So there's no point in you thinking, like, I've got a long-range nuclear missile or something like that. No, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. They have godly power to demolish strongholds. And Paul goes on to talk about the use of our weapons. He says, uh, this is in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our weapons can demolish pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Pretension is something that is, is laying claim to something. Something that is suggesting that it is something when it's not. So the enemy wants to lay claim to us and our lives. But we've got to learn to resist him. 
In two Corinthians, uh, in the same scripture, but reading from the Amplified Version, it reads like this. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. It just gives a slightly bigger understanding of what we're to do. Notice that the warfare is taking place chiefly in our minds. That's where it is, about arguments, about thoughts, the things that are coming up against the knowledge of God. What do I mean by that? You know what? You can say, like, I'm going to go to prayer, and you start praying, or you start asking God for things, and then you have a thought that comes into your mind, well, is God real? Do I believe that? That is an example of the enemy coming in to distract you, to question you. And we know that the enemy loves to question, did God really say but you see, as it's happening in your mind, you don't always think, well, that can be the enemy. This is where we've got to become very self-aware of what's happening. What type of thoughts go through my mind? What type of things distract me? What type of things confuse me? And we have to learn to stand against those things. Because these thoughts, these pretensions, they're setting themselves up against the knowledge of God. Romans 1 verse 20 says, look, mankind is without excuse. When it comes to the fact, is God there? He says, we are without excuse. And we say, I want evidence. Evidence is all around, all around us. Mankind is without excuse for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So in other words, God's saying, listen, my eternal power and divine nature, that's always on show everywhere you are. Just go outside and look at nature. Look up at the sky. Okay, so often there's clouds, but when it's a clear sky, in the day, you see the sunshine up there. At nighttime, you see this marvelous array of the stars. It's telling us that there is a creator, that God is real. Mankind is without excuse. But boy, oh boy, that's not what my mind says. I have all these thoughts that come. Can you believe that? Are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you certain that God's real? That is a bombardment that comes against us in our minds. It's the enemy who's trying to distract, confuse, keep us off course, discourage, anything to keep you away from fulfilling the commands of your commanding officer and fulfilling his work here upon the earth. The enemy will seek to do that. So we have weapons that can stand against us. What are our weapons? Well, these are some of the weapons that I believe we have. We have our authority. We've just been talking about that. What is authority? Authority is the right to exercise power. You're given the right. So if somebody gives you authority, okay, you now have the right to do what they're asking you to do. I give you the authority to do this. Jesus has given us the authority here upon the earth to exercise his power. We have authority, and we've looked at where we're positioned. We're positioned with Christ in the heavenly places. Therefore, when those doubts come, we can say, in the name of Jesus, I resist you doubt. I resist you. You have no authority, or rather the authority that I have is that I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, which is far above every power and name that can be named, and I stand against you in the name of Jesus. Now, let's just look at something practically, because we've seen 
that, and we are aware of the battle that's going on in Ukraine. We know that the soldiers don't just come up to the front line. They may have a gun and everything. They don't just say, oh, there's the Russians over there. This is the Ukrainian army. I'll represent them today. They don't just say to the Russians, um, we don't like you. Um, we have authority over you. Please go away. <laughs> They're just going to fight back, aren't they? There's warfare involved. And often, you're speaking against doubt. Doubt, I tell you to go in Jesus' name. I've, I've learned that I've got to do that. In Jesus' name, you must go. And I'm seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. You must go. And doubt says, are you sure? <laughs> you see, we have to learn about our position. We have to understand what God is doing and how he wants to, to work in us. We have to give ourselves to God. We have to have relationship with our commanding officer. But we have authority and we can use words to make that authority known. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. We're using our words. Another one of our weapons is repentance. Now what do I mean by that? Repentance. Well, you see, the enemy does things and works through our lives. And he causes us to do things that God doesn't want us to do. And sometimes we just unaware of those things. Sometimes we're very much aware of them. But if we don't repent, it's like the enemy's got a hold on us. And I remember you did this. You're not going to be a have authority over me because you have done wrong. You're no good. You, you always do this. This is how you live. Let me tell you who you really are. You are a useless sinner and I can tell you because you did this. He holds on to us. So how can we get rid of that grip? This is where repentance comes in. What is repentance? Repentance is going before God and saying, God, I admit I have done this. If we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness is actually what the scripture says. So we need to learn repentance. I was in Uganda, we were having a conversation about repentance. What does it really mean to repent? Is it just saying, oh, I admit it? No, real repentance is never doing that thing again. That's what real repentance is. Because you know what, when we really repent, we say, I should never do that. If Jesus is saying, this is not the way to behave, I should never do that thing again. And when I hear that myself, I recognize that I can often admit, but I don't always fully repent. I admit I've done it. Sorry, Lord, please help me. But if I really want to deal with something, God, you have got to work in my life because I need to get to a place where I'm not doing what you don't want me to do. I need to change. That is real repentance. But look, repentance is key because it's breaking the ground that the enemy wants to hold against us. He knows when we've sinned because he has a grip on us. And if there's a continual pattern of sin, it can build a stronghold in our lives. A stronghold is where the enemy has dug in his defenses and it's therefore more difficult to break through. Repentance is a key for us removing the legal ground that the enemy has against us when we have sinned. Another weapon that we have is the word of God. Now, I know in the end we can look at the armor of God, which we will do in a few moments. No, we won't. Um, if you know that, you know that the, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. 
The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So if you imagine that, okay, the sword of the Spirit. So now I have the Word of God. So even if I'm saying, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. This becomes a sword. And you know what? If I was to go around here slashing a sword around and just walking about, every, there's a danger that somebody might get hurt. Yes. That is what we're doing when we're using the Word of God against the enemy. The danger is the devil is getting hurt. He's getting hurt by the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. And so therefore, using the Word of God, it is written. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the, in the devil, by the devil after he'd been baptized? He went into the desert, and then the devil was tempting with various things, and God says, like, it is written. You shall worship the Lord and serve him only, for instance. It is written, man shall not live on bread only, but on every uh, word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is written, it is written. He's using the sword of the Spirit. We must learn to use the sword of the Spirit. And that's when we need to read our scriptures so that we know more of those words. And of course, there's prayer. Prayer is showing our reliance upon our commanding officer. The battle's getting intense here. What do I need to do? Can you help me? That's what the people cry out from the front line. They want their commanding officer to send more troops. Send us more supplies. Help us. Prayer. We're calling upon God. I need help. Things are tough here. I've been in this situation for some days. I've been fighting against the enemy. He still seems to be holding on. What do I need to do? Is there anything else that I haven't seen that I need to take hold of? God can release a scripture into your mind. Okay, and I've got something more to hold on to. Let me use this as a sword against the enemy. God can do many, many things. So these are our weapons. And then, of course, we go on to our armor. But I've seen the time, and we're not really going to be able to go into this. Um, I don't know whether I'll be speaking on this next week or not, but we need to look at the armor of God. Ephesians 6, go back there and see, because it tells us this is the armor of God. This is the, the armor of God that we need to use, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, all of those things we need to have in place because they're important for us. We are in a battle. We're fighting. Actually, let me just say this, uh, Ian, because I want to leave this practically, if you like, because we need to take it practical. There's, don't just go anywhere shouting at the devil. Start thinking about your own life. Start getting your own self sorted out. What's the stuff that comes against you? Not everybody's going to have the same types of thoughts. Some people it might be doubts. Some people it might be fears. Some people it might be lusts. Some people it might be the whole lot. What's going on for you? What's your self-awareness showing you? What are the things that come against you? What is the stuff going on in your mind when you're alone? When you're coming to prayer, Lord, I need you. But today I feel really afraid. Today I feel really angry. Today I feel really upset. What is going on in your mind? I don't know what is going on in your mind, but you do. And you know some of the things that you need to be standing against. Lord, help me to stand against these things. Start using the weapons you have been given. I resist this spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. And I tell you, fear, your days are numbered. You need to leave my life in Jesus' name. I'm not listening to your voice anymore. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So I'm telling you, you need to go. I'm seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. Far above every power. Don't try to pull rank on me. I'm pulling rank on you. I'm telling you where I'm seated. 
we need to learn how to fight. What is it that's coming against you? Identify those challenges, those feelings, those thoughts. Identify them and start to stand against them. Submit yourself to your commanding officer first. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Remember, you are a child of God. Remember that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But remember that you are in a battle. And you need to start fighting. So we, all of us need to take responsibility for ourselves, our own lives. And we need to start resisting darkness so that we can overcome and see the kingdom of God be more and more established in our lives and in our families. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.